I hope you'll take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 14, our last week in Mark 14. One of my favorite things about reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is getting the chance to hear and to see the responses that people have to Jesus. We read through the Gospels, we, we read about his teaching, his miracles, and we see him interacting with people from all different walks of life. And along the way, we have this record of how people respond to him. That response is a mixed bag, isn't it? There are some who choose to give their lives to him. And then there's a greater group that are intent on taking his life. So we see these responses and it is a mixed bag. But I think my favorite part of reading the Gospels, and maybe you would, maybe, I don't know if you thought about it this way, but maybe you would agree. One of my favorite things to come across as I read the Gospels are these reactions of, of faith and these declarations or confessions. I'm really drawn to those passages to hear people confessing their allegiance to Christ. And when I think about things I want us to read together or say together, those come to my mind a lot, these declarations. Let me give you some examples. Maybe, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you remember the story where Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. If you know the story, you'll remember that Lazarus had been dead for a few days. Jesus was a friend of the family. He arrives in town and the two sisters, Martha and Mary, are grieving. Martha comes up to Jesus, and in her grief, she says this, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, which it's a confession within itself, isn't it? I believe that if you had been here, Jesus is comforting her, and part of what he says is this, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her this question. Martha, do you believe this? And this is her response. And this is one of those confessions. Martha says this. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This is a woman who has seen Jesus, come to know Jesus, and she believes he's more than a good friend, more than a teacher. She believes he's the one who has been promised. She confesses her faith. Yes, Lord, I believe. Another one I think of is the confession of Thomas. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap. He doubted, didn't he? Remember after the resurrection of Christ, many of the disciples saw Thomas and they told everyone he is risen and yet Thomas has his doubts. Those doubts linger and probably grow for a week. Until a night when the disciples are gathered in an upper room and Jesus appears and Thomas sees him. And even still is hesitant, but Jesus shows him the scars in his hands. He shows him the 
pierced side. And in that moment, when Thomas realizes this is truly Christ risen from the dead, he says this, my Lord and my God. He sees him and he confesses not only that he's his master, his Lord, but your God. It's a short one, but I love it because someone who had been so full of doubt now makes this proclamation of faith. You are my Lord. You are my God. You can hear the emotion in it. So many great confessions. Think about the soldier who had been a part of crucifying our Lord, and yet he sits there, and as Jesus takes his last breath, he says this, truly, this was the Son of God. What about the man whose son was possessed by a demon? And he comes to Jesus asking that his son would be set free. And Jesus tells him, you must believe that all things are possible. You remember what this guy said? I believe. Help my unbelief. That's a great confession because of its honesty, isn't it? I believe. Would you help my unbelief? I love that one. That one's close to one of my favorites. Probably my favorites all come from the lips of Peter, though. We can think back to a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus asks his disciples, what are people saying about me? And they tell him what they've heard. And then Jesus turns the question on them. He says to them, to the 12, who do you say that I am? And that's when we get this great confession from Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That confident declaration about the identity of Christ. All right, here's my favorite. You've already read it this morning. You've said it. John chapter 6. John tells us that many of Christ's disciples had turned back and no longer walked with him. These are just not the 12, but the masses. Jesus says to the 12, do any of you want to go away as well? Peter speaks up first. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Where else would we go? Everything we have, everything we need is you. Go away? I have nowhere to go. That's awesome, isn't it? I hope that's our heart. I could keep going. There's some other beautiful and special confessions that we have in the Gospels. I love hearing people confess their faith. And that's one of the reasons I think I love coming together on Sundays. Because this is our chance to come together and collectively confess that we believe. To say together, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. To confess our need for him and our dependence on him. It's one thing for me to do that daily, confess my need to Christ, but man, it feels good to hear you confess your need as well. <laughs> and for us to say together, there is someone who meets our need. 
It's important. It's important in part because I think we all know how easy it can be for our faith to grow dull. So it's good for, hear, for us to hear the confessions of the scriptures and to hear one another's confession because it strengthens our faith, or it should. We've all had seasons when our faith was weak, times when we struggle with doubt, maybe uncertainty about God or the goodness of God. And this is the truth of the matter. While there are times when we can confidently confess our trust in Christ, our faith is not yet perfect. So all of us, I'll say it again, all of us are susceptible to times of weakness. Which means all of us need help from God to remain firm in our faith. And our passage this morning is a clear reminder that any one of us could face a situation or a season where the weakness of our faith is exposed. This morning we're going to consider the night when Peter came face to face with his own weakness. Now remember, as we come to the story and we read about Peter, remember this is the same guy who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Lord, to whom shall we go? He's the one who said, and we saw it just a couple of weeks ago, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. If I have to give everything, I will not deny you. And yet, we are going to see this morning that Peter does, in fact, deny Christ not once, not twice, but three times. Even after his incredible confessions of faith, even though he said he would never fall away, that he would never abandon Christ, he found himself in a situation where he, in fact, did. It's a night of weak faith. And it's a story that you probably know well, but that we cannot afford to overlook. The plan for this morning, we're going to read it, and then I'm going to walk us through the story, and then don't get scared when your notes actually don't start until a little ways into the service. Towards the end, we're going to consider three things that I think we should hear from this story. A warning, a contrast, and a hope. First, this passage should warn us that all of us, even when we confess our faith boldly and believe it with all our heart, all of us are susceptible to weakness. So we should read this passage of Peter's denial of Christ and we should tremble a little bit and feel the warning. Second, I want to take us back to where we were last week because what we recognize is as Peter's having this interaction, Jesus is having an interaction of his own that we looked at last week. Two trials of sorts and two confessions going on at the same time. And as we see Peter's weakness, we also see the steadfastness of Christ. And as we bring those things together, the warning... And the steadfastness of Christ, I think we are reminded that hope is available to those who are weak. Forgiveness is available to those who sin. Mercy to those who deny. And that is especially clear in the story of Peter. That was a long introduction. Let's go to the text. And as we do, just remember... 
we're in this scene and it's overlapping with where we were last week. Jesus is there. He's having the trial. Witnesses are being brought to testify against him. And at the same time, we have Peter. And that's where we pick up Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 66. Hear the word of God. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But Peter denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw and began to say to the bystanders, This is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But Peter began to invoke a curse even on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Again, we're jumping back into a, a night that we have been discussing for several weeks now. A week that started with the meal in the upper room. And in fact, Peter was there to prepare that meal first. It was during that meal that Jesus announced again his death and also his betrayal. And it was after that meal when Jesus told his disciples that a time would come when they would scatter and he would be left alone. And when he said that, remember he says, he quoted Zechariah, you will all scatter. Peter was the one who spoke up. Peter said, even if they all fall away, I will not. I will not leave you. Even if all these jokers do, I won't. That's when Jesus says this to Peter. Truly I tell you, tonight, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He was speaking prophetically, announcing what was going to happen. And think about who's saying this. This isn't a conjecture. This is Christ, the one who knows all, sees all, and knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He tells Peter, how many times has Peter heard Jesus say something and it comes true? How many times? He tells Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. And Peter is unwilling to hear him. He's confident, he's sure. He says emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And I want you to hear this, church. First, I don't doubt for a second that Peter believed what he was saying. He was sure of himself. Because he struggles with the same thing that you do. And I do. Pride. Think about what's going on here. Think about who's saying these things. 
Peter knows that Jesus knows all. Peter knows that Jesus sees all. And yet when Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me, his reaction isn't, can you help me? His reaction is to immediately dismiss what Christ says, and he responds in pride, no, I won't. I will never. Which reminds me of the proverb. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter is so sure of himself, so confident that he'll never turn back. And yet what we see is that Peter was not as strong as he thought he was. Now, to be fair, when all the disciples scattered, Peter did stay closer than anyone else. We saw that last week in verse 54, that verse that was in the middle of our last passage that we kind of moved past. But we're told that after Jesus was arrested, they take him to the house of the high priest, Caiaphas, where he's going to be on trial, and that Peter followed from a distance. For the sake of having a good picture in your mind, let me tell you how historians think this scene might have looked. Picture a house that wraps around a courtyard. Kind of like your house, right? Big wraparound house with a courtyard in the middle. The upper rooms were the largest, and that's most likely where the trial was being held. So upstairs we have Jesus and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And then down in the courtyard, on a cool night, there's a fire. And others are gathered down there, Peter among them. Peter has come. And up to this point, he's fulfilling his word to Christ. I'll be with you. He's there, he's keeping tabs on what's going on, but it's been a long and full night. It's taken us four or five weeks to work through it. That meal where Jesus announces betrayal, that walk to the garden where he tells them they're going to leave, that the hours of prayer where Peter kept falling asleep and then he got rebuked. Then the mob comes and you remember what Peter does? He cuts the guy's ear off. That doesn't happen every night. And now he's here and no doubt... His head is spinning, right? He's trying to figure it all out, trying to decide what he should do, what he shouldn't do. He's never been in a situation like this before. And he's alone. And it's in this setting that it happens. He hears someone. I can just picture his head just full of thoughts, right? Just noise around him. And then he hears this one voice, the voice of a servant girl who says, you are with him. Peter recognizes, I think she's speaking to me. She says, you were with the Nazarene, Jesus. It's the middle of the night. And remember, the only reason these people are here is because Jesus is up there. On trial, otherwise they'd all be home in bed. She says, you're with him, but she doesn't speak of him in a way of reverence or honor. She says, that Nazarene. It's clear that she doesn't think fondly of Christ. 
It's true, Jesus was from the town of Nazareth, but this reference came with connotations. He's that guy, the reason we're here, the one who's on trial. Now, to be clear, when we talk about the servant girl and when we talk about Peter, we don't know the thoughts of their hearts. We don't know what her final intentions were. But what's clear is that in the moment, Peter decided that he needed to distance himself from Christ. We read in verse 68, he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. Again, we don't know Peter's motives. But what I think we all know is how easy it is to justify our sin. When the pressure's on, and the pressure was on for Peter, and I can imagine the thoughts that were going on in his head, maybe he's thinking, if I can just stay here, I need to stay here. I need to get tabs on what's going. If I'm arrested, then he's here alone. I need to lay low. I need to blend in for the sake of Jesus. Right? We all know the thought process, how we can reason away our sin, justify our actions. I don't know exactly what Peter was thinking, but we do know that he denied Christ. He pleaded ignorance. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. The one who had said, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. All it took was a little servant girl saying, I think I recognize you. And he crumbled. It put him on his heels. Enough that he figured it's time to find a new place to stand. So Mark tells us he moves from the fire in the middle of the courtyard closer to the door. Maybe he felt like he needed to be by an exit. Maybe that felt safer. What we know for sure is that Peter changes spots, but the same thing happens again. But first, Mark tells us this, that a rooster crows. Now, I'm not going to take time today to talk about roosters and their prevalence in society. They were common. And I won't talk about how they crowed so consistently that people used them to track time, but they did. It's an interesting rabbit trail or crow, uh, rooster trail, I don't know. You can follow that trail on your own, the history of roosters and their prevalence in Jerusalem in the time of Christ. What we know is that this is what Jesus had said. By the time the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Now Peter has denied and the rooster has crowed. Peter's now by the entryway and the servant girl sees him again and says something again. But this time she doesn't say it to him as much as she says it to everybody. That man, he's one of them. We don't know her motives. We don't know what she was trying to accomplish. We don't know what the fallout might have been or not been for Peter. But what we know is that Peter senses trouble. For the second time, he's pointed out as an associate of Christ, and for the second time, he denies it. Probably justifying all the time why he's doing what he's doing. The same way you justify the things you do that don't please Christ. I know I shouldn't do this, but 
It's better than the alternative. This isn't right, but it's just this once. If the situation was different, I wouldn't have to lie, but here I am, I have no choice. You ever thought of any of those things, or is that just me? It's the lesser of two evils. It will give me the opportunity to do more good later if I do this now. If I don't do this now, then there will be harder consequences down the road. Fill in your own excuses. Those are just mine. We are masters at rationalizing and justifying our sin. And yet every time we do it, we're choosing to believe that we know better than God. That even though he's called us to obey, we understand the situation better than he does. What pride. To know the commands of God and yet to decide that we know better. It's never the case, though, is it? The way of Christ is always the right way, no matter the consequences. But we all do it. We become confident in our own wisdom. We believe our own excuses. And truth be told, I don't have any idea what Peter was thinking about in this situation, but we do know that he lies. And his lie is a denial of Christ. He's done it twice, and the third one is coming, and the third is worse than the first two. Verse 70, after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you're a Galilean. How do they know that? Well, Matthew tells us that he had an accent, right? I know you're from Texas, right? I know where you're from. I can hear it in your voice. Why else would a Galilean be here in the middle of the night? You're one of him, one of them. With the pressure mounting, Peter doubles down, and this time he doesn't settle for claiming ignorance. This time, not a simple denial. This time he goes all in and he begins to swear. Mark says he invokes a curse on himself, which means it could have sounded something like this. I swear I don't know him, and if I'm lying, God can strike me dead. He's desperate. He decided there is no way, no way he can admit who he is. No way he can reveal his identity. And he's so desperate that he does something drastic. He swears and invites the judgment of God on himself in order to cover his lie. If there wasn't a scene already, Peter just created one. And maybe, perhaps his over-the-top insistence convinced the crowd to back off. We don't know. We don't hear anything else about the crowd going forward. What we are told is that after Peter swears and invokes the judgment of God on himself, immediately he hears a rooster crow. The first time Mark doesn't tell us if he heard the rooster or not. This time Mark says he heard it. And when he heard it, he remembered what Jesus had said to him. In the moment, he recognized what he had done. All of a sudden, the weight and significance of the moment lands on him like a ton of bricks. Have you been there? 
when all of a sudden you come face to face with your sin and you recognize it for what it is, all of a sudden you are fully aware of the seriousness of what you've done. The truth is that in the time of sin, we can justify it and rationalize and even kind of become blind. We convince ourselves it doesn't really matter. That small outburst of anger, that occasional use of pornography, the dishonest way of handling your work, the secret indulgence that you, that you know doesn't please God, we justify them. And maybe you know what it's like to wake up one day and realize this was much bigger than I thought. All of a sudden you see your sin for what it really is. In that moment you know that you're going to be held accountable. And that's what happens to Peter here. The rooster crows and in that moment he knows. Luke adds a detail that Mark leaves out and this one this one's big. Luke says this. Immediately while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. We don't know how this happened. Maybe in the room up where Jesus was, maybe there was an opening, a window. And maybe in that moment, as both Jesus and Peter hear that rooster crow, Peter looks up and Jesus looks down and their eyes meet. Can you imagine the shame? In that moment, Peter probably remembered lots of things. His claim, even if they all fall away, I will not. Even if I must die for you, I will not deny you. He hadn't lived up to his own confessions. Here's a heavy one. Maybe in that moment he remembered the words of Jesus because not long before this, Jesus had said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you deny me before men, I will also deny you before my Father. Maybe that came back to Peter's mind in between his curses, the invoking of God's wrath on himself, remembering the words of Christ, seeing his sin, I have no doubt that in that moment he thought he had lost it all forever. Verse 72 is short but weighty. He broke down and wept. Luke says he wept bitterly. it's appropriate for us just to feel the weight there for a minute the seriousness of sin the consequences of sin and that moment of guilt thankfully this is not where Peter's story ends it's where our passage for today ends but it's not where the story of Peter ends but here we are and I told you that I want us to see three things. Man, that was a long introduction. No. Three things for us to consider as we think about what we've read this morning. 
First, we must hear the warning. If we read the passage in isolation, we can shake our heads at Peter and think we could have done better. But friends, let's not forget who this is. Peter is no slouch. Peter was one of the closest to Christ who ever was on earth. Of the 12, Peter, James, and John were the closest, and Peter always stood out as the leader of the group. He was the first to make bold claims and confessions. Yeah, Jesus had to put him in his place a few times, but Peter's problem was never zeal. My point is that all of the disciples, out of all of them, Peter seemed like the one who would actually stay. And yet here we see his weakness. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Jesus had warned Peter, but Peter didn't believe the warning. He was proud. He thought, I can stand. I will stand. But he fell. And this morning, we can look at Peter and say, Jesus warned you. But how much more should we look at ourselves and look at the scriptures and hear the warnings about the deceitfulness of sin, about the danger of living by our own desires, about trying to live isolated apart from the fellowship of the church? Warnings for those who for a time appeared to have faith but fell away. My fear is that far too often we read or hear the warnings of Scripture and think, but not me. Even if they all fall away, I will not. I'm not here this morning necessarily to try to convince you to question your standing before Christ. But I do feel the responsibility to remind you of what the Scriptures say. Hebrews says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Implication, some will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Also in Hebrews, it says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Implication, some drift away. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Jesus says things like this. If your right hand causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. What's the point? The point is, is that we have warnings. And we may never find ourselves in the situation Peter was in, but we all have ways that we are tempted to deny Christ. We deny him by failing to listen to his commands. We deny him by not trusting that he will do the things that he has said he's going to do. We deny him by living with doubt and fear. The list goes on. The reality is we come in here week after week and it is my joy to hear you 
boldly confess your faith in Christ. But my fear is that some of us may have lives that scream unbelief. Confessing Jesus with our mouths but denying him with the way we live. As we think about this night from the life of Peter, we should be reminded of how deceitful the flesh can be. How we can become proud or overconfident in our own strength. And we can underestimate the weakness and the frailty of the flesh. We should read and hear the warning, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. This is a passage of warning. Second, I want to take us back to where we were last Sunday. Again, Mark likes using these overlapping. This is the fourth time I think we've seen one of these things where we have two stories that are kind of interwoven. These two are happening at the exact same time. Jesus is on trial. There's witnesses coming, presenting their case before him. There's Peter down in the courtyard having a trial of his own. Jesus is being questioned by the Sanhedrin and the high priest. Peter is being questioned by a servant girl in a crowd. And in both cases, there's a question of identity. As we've just seen, Peter gives a false confession, not admitting who he is. But remember, Jesus gave a true confession. Caiaphas asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. And last week we broke down the confession. It's a claim, a confession that he is God, the one with all authority, the one who will reign over all. It's a true confession. And a confession that Jesus knows, when I confess this, I will die. Peter may have thought his confession would lead to death, so he denies Christ. Jesus knew that his confession would lead to death, and he doesn't back down. And we see the contrast. The true confession of the identity of Christ and the false confession of the identity of Peter. And what I really want to see, what I want you to see, is that the reason Jesus made a true confession is so he can save people who make false confessions. Peter believed that his actions had placed him under the wrath of God. And Jesus knew that he would soon experience the outpouring of God's wrath. So that, and this is someone else's words here, so that Peter and all others who placed their faith in Jesus would not have to experience that wrath. You see these two confessions side by side? It should remind us of the steadfastness of Jesus. Because of his true confession and his faithfulness to the end, sinners like Peter and sinners like you can have hope. As we think about this night, there's no question this is one of the lowest points in the life of Peter. Over and over he had stood for Christ. He had made bold declarations about his allegiance to Christ. But in this one night he feared, I have thrown it all away. I have denied my Lord. I have sworn before God. Our passage ends with Peter weeping bitterly. And no doubt thinking, I will never be forgiven of this. 
I will be cast away forever. Thankfully, Peter's sin is not the end of his story. And your sin does not have to be the end of your story either. This is the third thing. This story is a source of hope for all who turn back to Jesus. What's clear is that Peter was broken. And we don't have a verse we can go to to read Peter's confession. Oh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? We don't have that. What we see is Peter's grief and his brokenness. Grief over sin is appropriate. But we don't have to stay there. We can't allow our grief and our brokenness and our guilt to lead us to confession and repentance. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. He identifies two kinds of grief. We can sin against God and feel bad about it. And yet it never takes us anywhere. We may be grieved of the consequences, grieved of what we lost or what we didn't get, but it doesn't go anywhere. But he talks about this category of godly grief where we see our sin and we're grieved of our sin and it produces a repentance. And that repentance, he says, leads to salvation without regret. Wow. And I think that's what happens in Peter's case. He has a grief that leads to repentance and a repentance that leads to salvation. What we see as we keep reading through the Gospels that Jesus and Peter are fully restored. Peter goes on to be one of the great leaders of the early church. It was Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and thousands were saved. We also see if you read the book of Acts, Peter had a lot more opportunities to be bold or to back down. And yet never again do we hear a denial of the name of Jesus. In fact, he proclaims Christ without reservation until he's killed for it. I'll give you one example. Acts chapter four. Peter and John have been out preaching. They heal a man. They're brought before the Sanhedrin and a high priest named Caiaphas Isn't it wild to think that Peter might have been standing in that same room where Jesus stood, looking down on that same courtyard of that shameful night? Let me read for you from Acts chapter 4. Caiaphas questions Peter. This is what Peter says. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to Caiaphas, ruler of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of all Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus, how's this for a bold declaration? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Oh, he wasn't backing down this time. Do I know Jesus? Yes, I know Jesus. You killed him. 
God raised him. And it's only through him that we can be saved. Peter had been forgiven and now he faithfully proclaims forgiveness. Knowing in that moment he may be put to death. But at this point he believes, even if I must die, I will not deny him. This is what I want to leave us with. This reminder that Jesus died so that we can be forgiven. And maybe you were here this morning and you were aware that I am a lot like Peter. I deny Christ with my words. I deny him with my life. I deny him with what I do and what I don't do. I deny him when I lie in my bed and allow my brain to go places it shouldn't go. Friends, know this. Jesus made a true confession that led to his death. Because of his death and his resurrection, you can be forgiven of your sins. You may feel like you are too far gone, but you're not. Repent of your sins, turn to Christ, he will forgive. And for those of us who know his forgiveness, my prayer is that you would grow in love and faith and boldness. And that we would be able to say with Peter, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. Even if they all fall away, I will not. Let's say it, but let's say it cautiously. Taking heed lest we fall. As we finish, I want to read for you a section of Peter. Here's your homework. You thought you were going to get out without homework. Read the epistles of Peter this week. And remember that guy in the courtyard that night. And consider that he wrote things like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you had suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore. Oh, church, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen.